Let's pray as we come to the Word of God. Father, open up your Word as I try and explain it. But Father, by the power of your Spirit, open up our hearts that we might see your truth in your Word, in the words of Jesus. This morning we ask in his name and for his glory. Amen. We've been singing about love and love is important, it's quite important and a fairly flexible word. In fact, at times it's too flexible. Love is romance, love is sex, love is caring, love is liking something, love is a feeling, love is sacrifice. It's a very flexible word and we're also, it's also flexible in the way we actually use the word in sentences. So most commonly love is a verb. I love you. Can we love doing this together? That's a verb. Often it is also a noun. Love is a many splendid thing. I fell in love with her and we make love. A noun, but occasionally we use it in the form of an adjective, in other words, to give more colour or to describe a noun. When I was younger, there was a show that came on that some of you would remember called The Love Boat. Soon will be, it's The Love Boat. It's a boat, but it's The Love Boat. And then when I was a little bit older, I started grooving out with the B-52s as they told me to go to The Love Shack. I was thinking about love as an adjective and I figured you could actually drive the love bug to The Love Shack after writing a love letter drink a love potion, sing a love song, then have a love affair and finish with a love bite. All adjectives of the word love used in a very different way. Today in my message I'm using the word love as an adjective because I'm talking about the love vine. The love vine. We're in John chapter 15 verses 9 to 17 in this series that I've titled You and Me and Jesus. And we're looking today at the love vine. Last week we started at the start of chapter 15 with a very simple metaphor that Jesus used. Jesus says to his disciples, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. In verse 5 he says, I am the vine and you my followers are the branches. And we saw there that there is a vital union last week between the branches, which is us, and Jesus, the vine. And there is therefore absolute dependence between the branches and the vine. There's the expectation of fruit and the assurance that the gardener, God, will prune the vine to produce fruit because that's what the gardener is wanting. That's what God wants, his fruit. And so we, the hope of God the Father is that the life of his son Jesus Christ will be produced in the branches of the vine, that is us, in Christ. As we come to verses 9 to 17, this metaphor is in the background. But it's still very much in view in everything Jesus says. Because Jesus now tells us that this vine that you're the branches of is a love vine. 
You have a red dress. The red dress is red. In the love vine, the vine is love through and through. Last week, just as last week, you see, where am I in my graphics? Sorry, I'm confused. All my graphics are out. Just live with that picture for a moment. As last week we saw, there is union. There's a unity to the vine, and this unity is a union of love. Jesus the vine, we are the branches. As we come and put our faith in Jesus, the Bible says we are now in Christ by faith. We're joined to the vine. We're, almost, we're grafted, if you like, into the vine and enter into a union of the love of God in the fullness of God's being. We're united in the Father. We're united in Jesus the Son. We're united in the Holy Spirit. In verse 9, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, the branches. Now remain in my love. To extend the metaphor, and actually Jesus doesn't say this, but I would like to suggest that though the Father is the gardener, in the vine the Father is also the rootstock of the vine. He is the source. He is the source of love. In 1 John 4, God is love. Whoever lives in in love lives in God and God in them. God is like the rootstock of this vine. And Jesus is the vine. Again, a vine of love. This is how we know what love is. 1 John 3:16. We actually just sang about it. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And as we are united to Christ. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, if you like, the spirit of love. Because the branches are totally connected to the vine, vitally connected, they're utterly dependent. And so we become, as followers of Jesus, embraced in this union of love, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, rootstock, vine, branches. Verse 9, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, loved you, now remain in my love, in this vital union. Okay, I hope you've got that point. We have to remain in the love of God to remain in the vine. How do you remain in the vine? Verse 10. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. In verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. This is a unity of obedience. This unity of love. Jesus keeps his Father's commands. He does his Father's will. The vine does the will of the rootstock, if I can use that analogy. And so we keep Jesus' commands. The branches do the will of the vine. 
because it's unified. Now we know that Jesus is Lord. He is king of a kingdom, the kingdom of God. And so we who follow him, we subject ourselves to his will. We submit to him as Lord. This, what Jesus is saying is really not that different to what we expect for our nation, for Australia. Australia, in world terms, is a pretty good place to live. And so many, many people would like to come and live in Australia. And so we have an immigration department, and as you know, it's a big issue in the news. And I'm not trying to draw, I'm not trying to make a value judgment about that. I'm just saying there is immigration issues about coming to Australia to live in Australia. Perhaps the biggest issue is, will the people who come and live in Australia from other nations, will they be law-abiding citizens? Will they submit to the authority of Australia and its government? Will they contribute to this nation? If you're going to come and promote terrorism, the government doesn't want you here. And neither do I, frankly. If you intend to come here and intentionally flout the laws of our nation, the government says, we don't want you. If you're going to come and just live off social security and not contribute, the government doesn't want you. If you're going to intentionally involve yourself in criminal activity, you're not welcome in Australia. You know, There's a whole lot of issues around that, and I'm not concerned about the issues, but that's the basic principle. If you're going to live here, we expect obedience to the laws of Australia, says the government. Otherwise, you may not remain. You may be extradited, deported. If you don't have PR and you prove yourself to be involved in terrorist activities, I think you're going elsewhere. You cannot remain. Now, if God is sovereign... And he is holy and he is majesty. If Jesus is the Lord of God's kingdom, and if we are grafted into that kingdom, then doesn't it make sense to be part of that love vine that we obey and conform to the kingdom norms? There's a union of obedience, which is a natural consequence of being part of this vine of love, this kingdom of God. If you do not obey, is it not reasonable to think that maybe you are not secure in the kingdom, to be a branch that's not submitting to the will of the vine and the rootstock. But what does it mean to obey? If we must obey, because it's pretty harsh to be told you must obey. To use my immigration analogy, what if... I come to Australia, I haven't got PR, and there's a traffic infringement. One traffic infringement. Go! That's, that's a bit harsh. What do the disciples have to do to obey? Well, there was the Old Testament law, the way the children of Israel, the people of Israel, were supposed to live to show that they were God's people. But there were so many laws, so easy to trip up at one point, and let's face it, the Old Testament is the story of the children of Israel constantly failing to live by God's standards. Over and over. And God says, to make it in the Old Testament, he says, be holy 
as I am holy. How can anyone be holy all the time? We all fall short. We're all sinners, to use that phrase. And we fall short. We stuff up every single day. How can we be part of the vine? Well, perhaps it's like people suggest. I've been watching uh, The Good Place on Netflix a bit lately, and this is the principle of The Good Place. Perhaps it's just weighing all the good and the bad like on a scale. You know, if you have enough good, enough good and not enough bad, you get in, or if there's too much bad, you go out. Or maybe, if we use the vine analogy, maybe the bad things we do are like toxin in the love vine, but maybe there's a certain amount of toxin before the plant's dead. So, you know, as long as the, if, the, if it's still shriveled up and it's not dead, maybe that's okay, but if there's too much toxin and you kill the vine, then you're out. Is that how it works? So let's do the weighing. I give my seat up on the train. And, she, and she's not that old. I speak harshly to somebody. Ooh, but maybe it was justified. I, I cut off relationship with someone in my family because I will not take any more. Oh, but you don't know what my family's like. What if I refuse to forgive someone at work and make sure that their life is misery? Because they, well, they deserve it. I wish I could sack them, but the boss is too weak. What if I murder somebody? Well, okay, murdering, boom, goes the scales. Done. No way back. What if I tell lies? Oh, we all tell lies, but it's only white lies. How does the scale work? Who gives the points? And why would you lie? Why would the gardener let toxin in the vine in the first place? Like the gardener doesn't want a sick vine. He wants a fruitful vine. Better get the toxin out. Sin is not compatible with the love vine. So what is obedience? Well, you've got to remember this is a love vine. And obedience is when the love flows freely. Because then the vine grows and bears fruit that will last and be a blessing. See, there's only essentially one law. And this law controls all other laws. Every other law becomes a subset of one command. Religious teachers came and asked Jesus, you know, what's the greatest command of the law? In Matthew chapter whatever, 22, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. Oh, there's another one. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. If you were to sort of mold them together, what would be the outcome? It would be love. God and others. 
One basic command in the love vine, obey the law of love. And so Jesus in our passage says, you're only going to be in if you obey Jesus' commands. Jesus says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. In verse 17, this is my command, love each other. It's very simple. There's only one command. Just a little earlier, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And he says to his disciples, it's a whole teaching on love through this whole section. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, which was disgusting, which was sacrificial, which was the lowest person, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. A bit further on in John chapter 13, a new command I give to you. A new command? We've got all these other old commands, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another by this Everyone will know that you are my disciples. This is what you're to be characterised. This is what shows out of the vine if you love one another. You and me and Jesus. Loving one another. And as we love, we find that we belong and find our place in the family of God. It's such a deep call for us as church. It's a deep, deep call to be part of God's family, to be branches in the love vine. Because here in community, we are to find love and we are to be love. Because it's a love vine. And you say, you forget about the scales, just love. You give up your seat on the train? Well, because that's a loving thing to do for someone who needs it more than you. You forgive. You build relationships with those you find difficult and who have hurt you because that is loving. That puts the other first rather than your pain first. You tell the truth, even if it costs you, because that is loving. You deal honestly with people because they deserve it. You don't kill people. You don't murder people because that is quite unloving. You don't commit adultery because that is dreadfully unloving. You're patient and you're kind and you're compassionate and you don't gossip because those things are a reflection of love. You don't talk about people behind their back to put them down if you love them. The family of God is to be a community distinctly marked not by self, but by love. The 100% consistent message of the scriptures. So such great love is to pulsate through the vine. It's not reduced to romance, romance. It's not reduced to sentimentality or sexual desire or affection or liking. Love is characterized by selfless sacrifice, where you give all from yourself, as we have sung about, to seek the good of the other. 
Jesus says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. How has Jesus loved us? We've been singing about it. Greater love hath no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's what Jesus did for us. There is love. Here is love. This is love. God sent his son so that we might live through him. He gave his life as a sacrifice, an atonement for our sin. This is love. Giving all for the good of the other. In fact, John, in his letter, as a much older man after writing his gospel, says this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God, the rootstock. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. They're in the vine. Whoever does not love does not know God. They are not in the vine. Perhaps they are branches cut off and thrown away because God is love. If you're going to be in the vine, the love vine, you're going to be loving. This is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. We just sang it. This is love, not that we loved God. No, no, but he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us in the vine, we also ought to love one another. It's just natural obedience. No one has ever seen God, but if we live, but if we love one another, come on. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. See that union? If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Because we're the love vine. You and me and Jesus. Putting the other first, paying the price to seek their good rather than my good. And, and such love draws us into relationship. Verse 14. Jesus says, You are my friends if you do what I command. My friends, I no longer call you servants because the servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. We sing sometimes, once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, you've brought, made me your friend. Jesus, thank you. And as those in the vine, the branches are to relate the same way. As we love one another sacrificially, it deepens bonds of love. It deepens bonds of relationship, i.e. even friendship, even familyship, because we love one another. These people, they sacrifice for me. It may be getting here at 8.30 in the morning to practice music, to sing so we can sing well together. It may be preparing food. It may be teaching our children. It may be visiting us during the week. These people, they sacrifice for me because they love me. As I sacrifice for them because I love them and we're bound in bonds of love as we are bound to our Lord who has loved us and sacrificed so much for us that we might live through him. And as with friends comes revelation. 
If you are my friend, I will get to know you and I will get to know you more. And as I stay in friendship with you, I will get to know you more. And if I am your friend, you will reveal more of yourself to me because we're friends. We want to know one another and enjoy one another. God fills us with his spirit and reveals to us his purposes if we are in the vine. Verse 15, Jesus said to his disciples, I no longer call you servants. You're not just, okay, I'm the king. But you're not like servants or slaves because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Yes, I'm Lord, but you're not just servants. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, doing the will of my father, getting the word of my father, I have made known to you. And so, as Jesus' friends, we want to know more of Christ. As we now know Christ and grow in our understanding of his desires for us and a willingness to obey. And so, it's natural for those in the vine to delight in the word of Christ, in the Bible, reading our Bible, and to feed on that so that we might know him, know him more. It's such great love. But perhaps the greatest aspect of this love that Jesus shows to us is that it's totally undeserved. None of us merit God's love for us. None of us, as John said in his letter, none of us loved him first. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son for us. The scales, they're hopelessly tipped in the direction of Wickedness. Being out of relationship with God, we reject God. We don't want God in our life. We don't want His law. We don't want to love because uh, it's just I want to look after me. Uh, uh, we're all toxin in the vine by ourselves. God has every right to say, "Don't need you in my love vine. You're not very loving. Go." Instead, God in love calls us into us in this relationship with him. And that's why Jesus came and that's why he loved. See, the, really the greatest blessing of this great love is the blessing of election. God acted for us. We didn't choose God. God chose us and grafted us into the vine. The initiative is all with the Lord. So Jesus says in our passage to his disciples, you did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. The initiative is all with the Lord. And so in the love vine, there's no cause for boasting that I deserve to be here because you don't, that I'm more loving, therefore I'm here, therefore my, I won the scales battle or I'm less toxic than you are. We're only in the vine because of God's amazing grace. There is no cause for boasting, but only delighting in the overwhelming love of God that he should choose me a wild vine, a toxic addition, and that I might be cleansed and grafted and share in the love of God and the life of the vine. I wonder... If we should have, um, there's our little theme graphic and our theme statement, belong your place in the family of God. It's great, it's great, but what about this? Should have got John to do that. 
What if we had the love vine? Because actually what we're all talking about, we've all got to belong and find our place in the family of God. In other words, see that we are a branch in the love vine called Penobaps. Actually, it's crap. This is much better. Um, but you get the idea. And the fruit of the love vine is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. What does God's Spirit produce? Galatians chapter 2, 5.22. Many of you should memorize this. The fruit of God's Spirit is love, joy, peace, I know patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such these things as these there is no law. When you abide in the vine, when you remain and you're obedient, the produce, the fruit is love, joy and peace with God and with others. So Jesus says back in verse 11 of our passage, Jesus says, I've told you guys these things so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be complete. You see, joy is the natural outworking of love. We're made in God's image. We're made like God, uniquely. God is love. And so as human beings, our greatest satisfaction, our, our centre, our, our being is realised when we love others and when we are loved in return. Sometimes you wonder, why would anyone get married? You, those of you who are married, you know how hard it can be. But everybody, most people want to get married. What's going on there? Just talk to someone who's married, would you? Well, no, because you want to love and be loved. Why does anyone have children? I reckon that's harder than getting married, personally. Why would you have children? But people want to have children. Because there's something deep inside of us that just wants to love and be loved because God made us to love. And you know what makes marriage hard? You know what makes raising kids hard? Sin. Selfishness, greed, pride. On behalf of the kids and the partner, I know, and more importantly, me. We are made to love and so we find our greatest joy, our greatest satisfaction when we love and love others in return. We're hardwired for it. You see, you see a mother giving birth? It is madness. It is pain. It is suffering. And it's not just those few hours it has been going on for months ahead of time. And she gives birth. And is totally spent. And this child comes up to her breast. She's overwhelmed with love. And with that love comes a deep joy. It's not happiness. Is it girls? I don't know if I've... I mean, I've seen one really one woman give birth, but... Um, 
It's not happiness. There's no, not really laughter. But there is this deep abiding joy that I get to love this helpless, going to be crying, troublesome thing for the rest of my life. That's joy in love. It's humanity at its best. It's death to self-interest. It's the freedom of self-forgetfulness. I'm not thinking about me. I'm thinking about you. And you're good. And that is joy. See, rather than living in here, in fear, in taking, love gets us to live out here. In giving, in generosity. I live in love. And that's what the vine is to be like. That's what church is to be like. It's always scary, the Bible. Transformed by God's Spirit. And so even as people in church, we don't gather to complain about my self-interest and my fears and my being served. Rather, we gather in love to serve others and to humble ourselves and look to their interests rather than our own because we are the love vine. And here at Pano, many of you know, we are so imperfect. You've got toxic people like me and you. But at our best, there is joy that comes from love. I don't know what it was like. Equip conference was here, a bunch of ladies, 35 ladies yesterday. I don't know what it was like. But my guess is, because I wasn't here, um, my guess is that there was a measure of joy, a delight in seeing others, a delight in serving others, that there was love at least in part. I think at our best, Pano is like that. There is joy in others. There is joy in service, in being outward focused. And with that joy comes laughter and smiles and acceptance and security. And wonderful peace. On Wednesday afternoon... I had the enormous privilege of being invited by Wendy Go to a presentation at Liverpool Hospital for the inauguration of the Alvin Go Fellowship. Alvin, as many of you know, passed away suddenly, unexpectedly, 18 months ago. He was an ophthalmologist. He was part of our church. He was a dad. He was a husband, a friend, and a golfer. It was a smallish gathering, about 50, 60 people. It was mostly an internal gathering for the hospital. Um, there were funds made available to train up registrar ophthalmologists to bring an extra ophthalmologist into the department to give them special training. And that takes money, and that money is being called the Alvin, Dr. Alvin Go Fellowship in perpetuity. So every year there will be a fellow ophthalmologist, a student, a registrar with this Alvin Go Fellowship, quite an honour. They also, the, the, the ophthalmologists in the hospital also raised money um, 
and bought some equipment and stuck a plaque on it in Alvin's name. It was really a, really a special affair. And the people who spoke at that, it was really a hospital thing. We were the outsiders. The people who spoke at that were the head of medicine for Liverpool Hospital, so the medical director or whatever their name is, the head of surgery for Liverpool Hospital or South West Sydney, the head of ophthalmology for Sydney University Medical School, and the head of department for... Alvin used to be head of department and now the new head of department. And then Wendy spoke at the end. All of these very, very senior doctors, all of them, said the great thing about Alvin was not his achievements. He was a great doctor, great clinician, great surgeon. They all said that. But the greatest thing about Alvin was his humility. He was a great leader. They all said he was a great leader. He came into the department of... Op he became head of department uh, for 10 years of uh, ophthalmology at Southwest Sydney. And over those 10 years, he totally transformed it and it became a leading light so that students wanted to go to Liverpool to learn from their department. People in Liverpool wanted to work in ophthalmology at, in the ophthalmology department. And he did it not through demanding. They were saying, so many doctors, one of the, the head of medical, medical head said, look, surgeons need a bit of an edge. And a lot, basically she was saying, most surgeons are pushy, demanding people. Not Alvin Go. He was humble. And he achieved a lot through his example, through his humility. He didn't demand more and more and more, more funds, more resources. Rather, he changed the system by influence, by mentoring, by putting out for other people, even as he was an exceptional ophthalmic surgeon. In fact, the, the person who replaced him said, when he died, we didn't know who to send our family to anymore. This is what the senior doctor saying. We don't know who to send our family to for cataract surgery anymore. But the thing that stood out was, well, boil it down. Alvin was in the vine. He wasn't perfect. We all, those of us who know and loved him know that he wasn't perfect. But we also know that he was in the vine. And he took this characteristic of love, joy and peace and he put it into practice in his workplace. And so when we're hearing those colleagues who aren't believers describe him, it's a Christian they're describing who knows Jesus. In his department there was excellent morale, there was a sense of love and joy and peace. The fruit of the Spirit. So you and me and Jesus, united in this vine, the love vine, Jesus says, abide in the vine. Jesus says, this is my command. Love each other. Let me pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to put off self, and look for the interests of others. We ask for your forgiveness for when we fail to do this daily, Lord. And we ask for strength that we might take your love and live it out in our world for your glory. Amen.